You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join us this week on Friday evening to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Letting the optimism reign in here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. I cover the Suns and the NBA at SB Nation and Dime Magazine. But most importantly, you can follow our show on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns, where you can tell me which matchup in the NBA you are least afraid of when it comes to the postseason. Today's guest on the show is Nikias Duncan. Nikias writes for Basketball News. He's been on a guest on this show numerous times now, and he is one of my favorite people to talk basketball with. Nikias recently wrote a piece over at Basketball News talking about Chris Paul, how he's kept doing it into his mid-30s, why he's made it work with the Suns, and what could be down the line. So I thought we could talk about the impact Chris has had on this team uh, and this player option that's looming because Chris Paul could be a free agent this summer. That's a possibility. He could choose to opt out of that deal and and make a new contract with the Suns. So Nikias and I get into that. And then to close the show, Nikias recently tweeted, believe in the sun. So I, of course, had to ask him why he is so optimistic, how he uh, feels about this Suns team heading into the postseason and uh, his expectations, why he believes this team could be a real threat in the Western Conference and uh, what it'll take to get there. So without further ado, let's get into that conversation. Nikias Duncan, you can follow him at Nikias NBA on Twitter. And here he is. Nikias Duncan of Basketball News is my guest today on Locked On Suns. Uh, Nikias, we had a, a show right before the season, I think, or maybe around the time of the Chris Paul trade, where I brought you on to ask you what you thought he might bring to the Suns. And now you conveniently for me wrote a piece kind of uh, uh, getting us up to speed on that. So um, we can get into some of the specifics of what you write in the story. But what I want to just ask you is, when is this guy going to going to slow down like when is when is this going to be uh anything less than it has been because I I feel like he's almost in that LeBron territory the more that I watch him of betting that he will get worse except for an injury seems pretty silly at this point yeah I think it's entirely up to Chris like there's obviously been some natural physical decline like he isn't as fast as he was when he was playing for New Orleans or anything like that but the mental processing has been and probably will always be there. So as long as there's a hint of a breakdown somewhere, whether it's in help or if the big plays it wrong or if the guard gets called on the screen, Chris Call can dice you up. And it's not like it takes a lot of effort to rise up for pull-up mid-range jumpers. Like he's not flinging from 30 feet or anything. So it's not like he's exerting himself in that way either. So I don't think he's going to slow down really like you can the thing about his game the way that he can shoot the way that he can pass and now he's alongside a guy like Devin Booker who can carry the load like you can scale Chris Paul's game up or down depending on what you need um that's part of why when Booker goes to the bench the Suns are still outscoring teams by like eight or nine 
points per 100 possessions because Chris Paul can turn it up a little bit, initiate more actions, can get downhill a little bit more and force rotations, and you know he will pick out whatever weakness is out there. But he can also scale down. He's a very good spot-up shooter, um, knows how to direct traffic off the ball. So if Aiton is cooking or Booker is cooking, he can just kind of float around the perimeter and knock down shots and kind of conserve himself that way. So I really don't see him really losing much impact over the next few years. Yeah, I want to get into that maybe in the next segment because it's been on Suns fans' minds for obvious reasons with that player option coming up and uh, James Jones told Kevin O'Connor over at the ringer about a month ago in his big feature on the Suns that, you know, he was asked like, what's the future at point guard? And, and James basically said, you know, why, why can't it be Chris Paul? And, you know, maybe that's some GM talk right there, but at the same time, I, I do think it's a question worth pondering, but looking at this season, I think what you just mentioned about the way that he actually can play off the ball has been, I don't know. I don't want to say eye opening to me, but a little bit of a surprise compared to what I was expecting because, um, you know, just the risk, the, the perception, the reputation that Chris Paul has, right. It's like, you know, point God, he's going to orchestrate things. He's going to run some floppy. He's going to, you know, ISO late in the clock, all these things we, we have these, these memories of Chris Paul doing, but um, the way that he is comfortable and obviously being able to shoot is a big part of that, but he doesn't, um, you know, get uncomfortable or out of rhythm if he has to give the ball up. And that's been huge playing next to a guy like Devin Booker. When do you feel like you saw that start to happen for, for Chris? Cause he wasn't doing that with the Clippers. Was it playing next to Harden? You think that that kind of helped, helped him adapt that way? Um, I think it was like the last year of the LA stint and into the Houston stint. Like there wasn't much off ball movement in Houston. I mean, he was still able to find the spots around the perimeter as James Harden did what he does. But I think it kind of started towards the end of the Clippers stint when Blake Griffin took on more of that initiator role, when Blake wasn't, I mean, the Blake is always a dunker thing has always been dumb, but he did shift more from elite of the elite play finisher to a guy that they were running actions through doing the high post and doing their splits and letting him handle and handoffs and things like that. So I think Chris had to kind of adapt there as he wasn't always healthy during those uh, days either. And as Blake grew as a player and grew in importance, then um, Chris had to kind of alter his game a little bit. So that helped him. He goes to Houston, plays off of Harden, and now he's in Phoenix. And it's kind of a mix of both worlds to where, you know, he is um, handing the reins over more to a guy like Devin Booker, but also there's more movement in the offense just by virtue of what Monty Williams wants to do. So it's kind of blending his experiences in LA and in Houston. And this is what you get. So there's been a lot of talk. I'm sure you saw the the Jazz or the Clippers games this week that the Suns played some kind of measure measuring stick games for them and there was a lot of talk I mean they won the Jazz game so you know not to hype it too much because the end result was just fine but Devin Booker takes that shot at the end of regulation it's like a foot on the line two from the right wing over Donovan Mitchell a shot we know Booker can make and actually an area of the floor he likes in those spots but it just kind of prompted the conversation among Suns fans and I saw among you know just some basketball fans in general of like you know should Chris get more of those shots or should it always be that it's book and there's no questions asked how do you think about that because I think obviously Devin has a little bit more versatility to the types of shots he's going to be able to get you in those spots but there is plenty of, of credence to the idea that hey 
you know, CP3's hit a lot of those in his day. And when we get to the postseason, it might be better to just trust him with the ball. I think with both of those guys being as good as they are at getting their own, I think it really boils down to, A, who has the hot hand, which is a dull thing to say, but also what defensive coverage you're facing. I think if you're facing more of a switch-heavy team, then giving it to Booker makes sense because he can kind of pick out the mismatch he wants and he can rise up and shoot over the top of more guys than Chris Paul can just by virtue of the size. But I didn't like Booker getting the last shot against Utah because Utah is a drop team. Now, Rudy Gobert has been playing it a little bit higher and he's holding his own there. But if you're playing drop coverage, that just plays right into Chris Paul's hands. And it's not like he didn't have it going against uh, Utah in that game. So I think in that specific situation, you have a drop guy, you have Chris Paul who's cooking with the pull-up midi. I think you just kind of attack Gobert in space that way. You know, go, go early in the clock, see if they're going to maintain their drop. If Utah had decided they were going to just switch the final position no matter what, then if you draw the switch on Rudy Gobert, then Chris can swing it to Devin Booker and then Booker can do what he needs to do. So I think there was a way to involve I mean, it, Minimum, you can involve both of them. But I think depending on what the coverage you see, you kind of play it that way. No, that's interesting because, yeah, you know, Book is one of these guys that if he's getting the ball in that spot, he's going to wind the clock down, right? I mean, he, he's we don't really have a lot of buzzer beaters from Booker. I guess the the one against Dallas where it was a, like a spot-up inbounds play, but that's because there was not very much time left. There's not a lot where he is operating any sort of set play or even running a high screen or anything like that in those spots, unless he's getting a switch or, or whatever, he's not really doing much of that. So that is interesting. Maybe that's a way to, to kind of balance the, what they both do and then actually make the defense have to respond to something rather than just kind of going mono on mono in those spots. But it brings me to the, the other question I wanted to get at and what made your, what read, reading your story made me think about, which is if you think, that the way that that Chris fits into this team and just what the Suns have shown you so far, because it, it felt to me watching the Thunder last year in that that playoff series against Houston, that I mean we all know Gallinari and Shea were were just not what they needed to be, and so maybe if if they play better, then things are a little different. But it felt like Chris kind of had to do mostly everything in crunch time offensively, and that even if they had won that series, wasn't going to be a recipe for them to get much further because, you know, 35-year-old guy, you don't want him to have to do that. So do you feel better about this team being able to support and play through Chris than maybe what Oklahoma City was able to do in the playoffs last year? Oh, absolutely. Just by virtue of Devin Booker being there and being a true three-level scorer, I think that opens up a ton. Because, you know, in OKC, Chris did have help in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, a guy that can kind of get downhill whenever he wants to. And Gallo is a guy, he's been one of the most underrated ISO players in the league for half a decade, maybe just an entire decade when he's been healthy. I mean, just a guy that can shoot over the top and get to the free throw line whenever he wants to. But neither of those guys can get it the way that Devin Booker can. And neither of those guys draw attention in the way that Devin Booker does because of the way that Devin Booker can score. So I think just that pressure alone takes so much of the burden off of Chris Paul and it allows him to pick his spots. It allows him to attack second side. And the last thing you want to give Chris Paul at any age is a scrambling defense or some sort of advantage or someone overplaying somewhere because Chris Paul is going to make the right play 10 out of 10 times, 11 out of 10 times, really. So I think just by virtue of having Booker, that helps. And then you have the other guys. You have smart players. You have Mikael Bridges that 
if Booker runs something or Paul runs something, if they cheat towards those guys, Mikael Bridges is going to slice you apart with cuts. You have a wild card in DeAndre Ayton, who, if you're playing the switching scheme, he has the mobility, has the hands, has the finishing ability to operate as a guy that can slip screens and get to the rim and pressure the rim that way. So they have so many ways that they can slice you apart. It just makes Chris Paul even more dangerous because the defense has so much to think about. And more shooting. <laughs> Having James Jones as and a, a GM versus Sam Presti, I think, uh, I think it's an advantage there. Uh, not to say that that Thunder team didn't have spacing. I mean, Gallo is, is elite in that regard, but um, the Suns can put so many lineups out there that are going to spread you apart so much more than what, you know, when you have Dort and Adams, for instance, it's like, okay, you know, you're, you're kind of working with, with very little in some ways. So let's, uh, let's pivot to what comes next maybe for Chris Paul with this option looming. And then just how kind of back to that first question, like how much more can we expect him to do and, and what kind of might the future hold for these partners between Paul and Booker and the rest of the Suns? We'll do that right after a quick break. Just a moment to tell you guys about Rock Auto, the first sponsor of today's show. I've been pleased as can be with my sun visor for my driver's side. The sun, the Arizona sun, cracked it, fell right off, and had the sun glaring directly into my eyes for a couple of weeks. Went to Rock Auto, searched 2012 Hyundai Elantra Limited, which is my make and model, ordered the part. It got here within days. I saved a ton of money, and I have been as pleased as I ever have been. I checked the dealership. I checked some of the local stores. Rock Auto was cheaper than all of them. They were quicker than all of them. They were more customized than all of them. And that's what they do. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. They have a catalog that is easy to navigate, unique, customized to your spec, your brand, and the prices that you prefer. Sometimes they'll have price tiers. Sometimes like my sun visor, it was cheap enough at the beginning that they don't need many other options. So check out rockauto.com to pay the same every single time, not whether you're a professional or do it yourself or not what the market is is dictating for that point in time. Rockauto.com keeps their prices low and they do it every single time. So go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck. And when you make your purchase, write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Back here with Nikaias Duncan of Basketball News, talking Chris Paul, talking uh, the Suns playoff odds, kind of how it all blends together here. And I want to go back to the first question I asked you, Nikaias, just like how much longer we can expect Chris to do this. I feel similarly to you that what the way that the kind of the simple ways that he's simplified his game and uh, the, the fact that obviously his passing and his IQ are not going anywhere make me pretty optimistic. Uh, he does have this pretty large player option where it would kind of require him getting a pretty lucrative new contract, I think, if he were to opt out and do something like that. We've seen some players do it if they can get a multi-year deal in place, but that obviously brings us to the question of whether that's something that would be that would make sense for the Suns. Like, is it reasonable to think that if they sign him to a two or a three year contract this summer, that they would be able to get, you know, near all star or at least high level starter play out of Chris Paul into his late 30s? I think as Paul has changed his diet, apparently, I think from <laughs> yeah. what I said, so, veggies, veggies, yeah, man. getting more veggies in there like that 
kind of revived him in OKC, and we, you see, he hasn't slowed down in Phoenix. So I think you can bank if you can bank on that. Then the, I don't have any question that the impact is going to be there when he's on the court. Like I think he's going to shoot well. The pull up's going to be there. The passing is going to be there. Like he's going to age out of elite def, elite point of attack defender. I don't think he's elite now. I think he's just very good. So I think he's going to age from very good to good to above average over the next two, three years, which if Chris Paul is 38 and he's not a negative defensively, then you just, you just take that to the bank. And he's going to be a little bit better than that just because of tricks that he has and the IQ and all of that. So I don't think I would mind giving him like a two-year deal or a three-year deal with a lower number. I think he's worth it. I think the way that he can scale his game up or down makes him valuable alongside Devin Booker. And I don't, think just by who else you have on the roster, I don't think it's going to preclude you from making a splash for like a, a third star or a third all-star. Um, just, you know, if let's just spitball for a little bit. If Carl Anthony Towns doesn't want to stay in Minnesota, like I'm sure Phoenix can cobble together like Aiden and other things to at least make a competitive package. So, I think Phoenix will still have avenues to improve the roster, make the splash, or just kind of fill out around the margins if they do give Chris Paul the deal. Yeah, that's the thing is it doesn't give them cap space per se. If if they do that, I mean, I guess you could say that they could. It, it would be a number that would be frankly disrespectful to Chris Paul to get low enough from where he is now to where they would actually have some cap space this summer. So right. it's not really that that is the goal, but like you said, it, it just gives you some more flexibility. Like, if you can get his number a little lower, then maybe it makes it easier to bring somebody else in over time. Or, you know, even if that's a, a ways down in the future, it's like you can you can fit these bridges and eight and extensions in a little easier. You start to have everything fall into place a little more. So, yeah, I guess that's that seems to me like probably the best way to play it. I mean, not that either you or I probably has much insight into what Chris Paul is thinking, but um I guess it, I don't want to, I, I want to ask you this because I don't want to be too much in the sun's Kool-Aid, uh, you know, just, just believing everything's possible with this team living out here and everything. Like, is it reasonable to you that, that that could be something he would be amenable to? Cause he's only been here one year, but all, all things considered, it seems like he's enjoying himself. They're winning. He likes these guys. Like I kind of feel like he might be okay with something like that. What do you think? I would imagine so, because, I mean, he's going to be looking for that type of deal. And let's say he opts out and, you know, Phoenix wants to give him like three years, 80 mil, and he's searching for three mil, three years, $100 million or something. Who on the free agent market is going to do that? Like, who it's has exactly the, the thing, right? Because he didn't even have like the, the, the secret thing was, I'm not sure how much of a market there was for him with the trade, right? So, I mean, I don't even know how secret that is. So are there going to be new suitors that weren't there just a little bit ago? Yeah. It's a little easier to fit them in if you have cap space versus having to make a trade, but I think you're right. I don't, I don't think there's going to be 10 teams out there who are begging to pay him $30 million or who even can. Yeah. Like I don't know. I mean, obviously you don't want to strong arm Chris Paul, but yeah, like it's just, it just kind of gets to the point. Like who would you be competing against? Like, I think there's middle ground that could be met with a three-year deal that pays him what he's worth or what he deserves um, compared with the impact that he brings on both ends and off the court. But also to where you can keep some flexibility if you bring Aiden back, if you bring, you know, give 
bridges the extension. Uh, I, I, I don't see why he wouldn't unless, I mean, the only thing I could think of if he just wants to go somewhere else is maybe he eyes like playing with LeBron at some point. But even then, like, I don't see how L.A. opens up cap space anytime soon. So I, I don't think I don't see a scenario where Chris Paul realistically is out of Phoenix if they offer up the money. That's kind of where I've been landing. I, at first, like fans would bring it up and I'd be like, come on, he's not he's not going to opt out because I, I wasn't exactly sure what the, the situation here would be like. And I thought that they were just dreaming of, you know, let's get him back on less money or, or something like that. And I, but the more that I think about it and the more that I look at what free agency is turning into with so many of these other guys accepting extensions and, you know, who knows what's going to happen with these Clippers guys. I think that'll be a big part of it, but there's not uh, there's not some obvious suitor for Chris Paul. So yeah, if, if James Jones can work it out with him to, you know, get him paid and, and, and get him that, that long-term security, maybe on his last contract, last big contract for sure. I don't see why it's not something that could, that could work out, but it leads me to a question that I think kind of bridges the, the two gaps together here and then pivots to what I want to talk about in the last segment, which is just the playoff chances and, and how you're thinking about this team for the postseason. We talked a lot when Devin Booker was younger about, you know, can he be a James Harden type, right? Can he be maybe even, you know, now like a Luka type player, um, you know, have that that step back three, be a, a pick and roll type of my, maestro and be a bigger playmaker that is so valuable in the league right now. And it feels like the Suns honestly never quite bought into that. You know, I don't think it's just Monty Williams. I think really the organization never saw him as that type of player. And as we get further in, it doesn't seem like the Suns are, are building around him being a, a primary playmaker, which is why this Chris Paul conversation is so interesting. But I do think, you know, when we get to the playoffs, there are going to have to be possessions, probably a lot of them, where Chris or Devin Booker just needs to go create a basket with the ball in his hand. So how are you thinking about his evolution doing that? Because we've seen, you know, some high turnover games this year. He still quite doesn't quite have that pull up three that we've been wanting from him. So do you feel comfortable with him being that type of guy? Or do you feel like the Suns are going to need to count on setting him up in the playoffs and, and maybe him being more of a finishing player than a creator? I guess just when we get into this first playoff run for book, what are your expectations? Um, I think that's part of the beauty of the Chris Paul um, of the Chris Paul deal, because you have a guy that can set him up, run him off those flares, off those down screens and kind of let him tack off of one or two dribbles. But also when Paul goes to the bench, Booker still gets those reps. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. You can kind of maximize him that way. So he isn't worn out trying to do it for 38 minutes a game. But also he's still getting plenty of reps as the lead initiator to where he's still, you know, figuring out those reads. Um, being able to manipulate defenses as opposed to reacting to them. And he's very good at reacting to them at this point. Um, I think he's he's maximized in a role to where he doesn't have to do literally anything. I mean, literally everything, but also that's probably true of 98% of players in the NBA. Like nobody, I don't think anybody wants to be tasked with creating like 70 or 80% of the offense. So I don't super worry about Booker in that regard. Like, I do think there are some limitations. Again, he's more of a reactive passer than a manipulative passer, even with the straight, uh, even with the strides that he's made throughout his career. So within that lens, no, I don't think he's a Harden type or a Luka type. He just doesn't have that type of 
feel doesn't have that type of passing ability. But the fact that he's what two tiers below that, three tiers below that, with the scoring gravity that he has, like I think that's good enough. And then you have a guy like Paul that can maximize him as well. You get the best of both worlds, I feel. Yeah, let's tie a bow on the Chris Paul part of this and then go into a little bit more of Booker and the rest of the supporting cast as we get toward the stretch run of the season and into the playoffs. We'll do that right after another quick break. Just a moment to tell you guys about Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. The NBA, NHL, and MLB all in full swing. Award season, yes, Bet Online even covers the entertainment business. So the Oscars, the Grammys, the Golden Globes, all of it you can bet on with real time updated odds and props on everything that you can imagine from the sports world to the entertainment business. BetOnline.ag has you covered for all of it. It's the best place to make a bet, and best of all, it is free to sign up. So head to betonline.ag on the web or use your mobile device to sign up today. Use the promo code Locked On when you make your first deposit to get a 50% welcome bonus. One more time, head to betonline.ag on the web or use your mobile device, sign up today, and receive a 50% welcome bonus when you make your first deposit using the promo code Locked On. Again, Locked On, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, Nikaya. So thinking about the Suns' playoff run here, what we can expect from it, you know, they're they're likely to be the one or the two seed. I feel like unless the Clippers keep their hot play up and really make things interesting, um, but let's go back. So this will go up, I believe, Thursday. Um, just so everyone knows we're recording Monday. So the freshest games in my memory are, are the Utah and the Clippers game. We will have a Miami game that, that could be pretty interesting here. So we'll see um, if anything changes, but it, it's, it's ripe for, for looking at it because they are two teams. The Suns could play in the playoffs. And he was Nikias Devin Booker was 19 of 44 in those two games. Oh, of eight from three and uh, six assists to, to six turnovers. So, it's not to say that he wasn't good, but he definitely wasn't at his best. And those games, you know, he saw a lot of defensive attention. They played him physically. He clearly wasn't his usual efficient self in those ones. So that's, I think, maybe why I have a little bit of negativity lingering in my, in my mind is that I worry that he might have some real growing pains creating, you know, 20, 30 times a game when either Chris Paul is not on the floor or when, you know, Booker just has to be the one to do that in a, in a playoff game. I, I do feel like that was not the best intro to this stretch run uh, process for the Suns to see Booker struggle that way. Uh, I definitely get the concern. I would just say I would look at the record against teams over 500 um, again, they were able to pull out the Utah game and then they gave the Clippers a pretty hard fight on the second night of a back-to-back. And I think that's also a factor. Even just going to the Utah game, um, I talked about a little bit on the dunker spot um, this past week. Like Booker didn't knock down a three. But if you're able to shoot 13 of 25 on twos with Rudy Gobert on the interior, on the interior and you're basically just doing that on pull-ups, that kind of speaks to the skill level and the tough shot making that you're going to need in a playoff setting. So I was kind of encouraged by that. Um, I do get the concern um, about how hard he had to work sometimes, but it's best for him to get those growing pains out of the way now. Like I think if he's going to struggle, 
this is the time to do so. So he can have that film, have that experience. And once we get into the postseason, maybe he reacts a little bit better. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit um, because I agree. I mean, as much as that end of regulations shot got the attention, he goes into overtime and hits two right from the elbow on either side of the floor to put the game away, basically. Right. So um, he, he, he definitely was not out of rhythm, really. I just think he again, he's facing Gobert. He's facing some tough defense. The threes he was taking, it almost felt he, he has this way of taking threes sometimes where he'll do it sort of as like a change of pace type of it's almost like one of those quick pitch plays for you know a running back the the change of pace Darren Sproles types right where it's like we're just going to do this we're not even actually sure how many yards it's going to gain but we want to show you we can he has this way of doing that with pull-up threes I think that contributes to his lack of efficiency there and um, yeah it's nice to try stuff it's nice to see where the defense is going to respond to you. And, and I think they got some good stuff from there. Both teams were obviously playing that game to win it, which I've, which helps in terms of getting good stuff on film. So I'm, I'm similarly not super worried, but it's uh it's at least something to continue to watch. They have this road trip against a lot of East uh, playoff teams, and then they have the jazz and the Clippers again to close out April. So a lot of good games coming up for them, but let's pivot to the rest of this team. So what else then is making you optimistic about the Suns' chances, because like you just went through, it wasn't necessarily a Booker explosion that gave them the win against Utah. It was a a lot of things went into it. So what what's making you feel good about this team? And then we'll get into the negatives. Um, I'm still very high on Mikael Bridges. It's hard not to be high on Mikael Bridges. Um, Jay Crowder continues to do the little things for you. I've liked the growth I've seen from Cam Johnson. Um, the shooting is there but he's also defending a little bit better than I anticipated him this season. Uh, He's also a guy that can kind of get busy on cuts if teams overplay him. So I like that he's kind of adding some layers to his game in addition to the shooting. So that's been huge. Campaign hasn't really fell off the face of the earth. So I, I think it's fair to call him like a legit good backup point guard, which is a solid development as they kind of work through what the second unit is going to look like as we push to the postseason. Um, I think that's mostly where I am in terms of the positive. Like Aiden has shown me good things on the offensive glass. He's still kind of hit or miss in terms of what he wants to be offensively. Um, Still leans a little bit too too much to the jumper for my taste, but he is mashing teams on the glass. Like I think going back a couple of weeks to the Hornets game um, on a Sunday, I believe. Charlotte's a team that wants to switch everything and he was dicing them up with slips forcing attention that way and then once the shot goes up he was just kind of bullying guys on the glass and that's the kind of impact that he can have without having like designed post-ups called for him so that was an encouraging flash so if he can continue to put together those types of stretches that just gives Phoenix another layer that teams have to think about yeah what's the best case scenario do you think for for Aiton in the playoffs like what level of value does he need to bring on the floor to a stay on the court because that's another thing about that Clippers game is once Zubats wasn't really working for them and then Patrick Beverly gets ejected they just go they just downsize right they do what kind of their their ace in the hole is and they have Batum and, and Morris kind of being their their nominal big men and not to say Aiton got played off the floor, but the Suns weren't really able to punish them doing that because Aiton isn't that type of player. So that that was another thing from this week that caught my eye, and I wonder how you're thinking about, like, what does Aiton have to do to be a, a, a plus, a positive every night in the playoffs? 
Oh, man, I, I'm going to have to dig into hashtag cliche talk, but he just has to play with consistent energy. He has to make teams feel him. Again, if you're going against a smaller team, like even if it isn't punishing guys on the block, which I would like to see, like he's, he's a monster. He has solid footwork, has solid touch. I would like to see him just bully people under the basket. But even beyond that, set a screen. If they're going to switch, don't just slip. Slip hard to the basket. Really force the defense to react. Put a body on somebody, hit the offensive glass. Defensively, stay in your stance. Keep your hands up. Like he has the lateral quickness to be able to hang on the perimeter. Just kind of stay focused. Um, I've been a little bit worried about him in terms of navigating like off-ball actions. If a big is involved in like a handoff or just some kind of pin down, he has to navigate that, especially when Phoenix wants to switch. But if he can stay solid off the ball and just bring energy offensively, He's such a massive human being. Like, just by virtue of that, he's going to force some attention. That's going to help loosen things up for everyone else. Yeah, I've been thinking about wanting to see him more when uh, when teams do switch or play off of him or whatever, um, just going, like, hard into a, a, a dribble handoff or something. Like, that That to me is a part where we've seen him get more happy with the – or more quick with the trigger if – He's being played off in the mid range or even the threes like to keep defenses honest. I, I think he hasn't made a three at all since the all-star break. It's not like they're a threat, but it's at least I, I get the, the thinking there and he every so often can dribble and, and do all that stuff, but that's not really what his role is going to be. I want him to, to just, if, if that's happening with the defense to find Devin Booker, find Mikhail Bridges, find even Chris Paul and just get them the ball on a dribble handoff, smack somebody with the screen and keep the ball moving. That's, that's going to be where I think teams can really punish him and where we've seen the, t- the offense grind to a halt at times is when Aiton gets the ball and it just sticks and he's, he's just thinking in complete like slow motion, you know, like you can hear the warbled like <laughs> video playback thoughts going, <laughs> where is the ball? Like that, it's not going to work come, come postseason. So that's something I've been thinking about a lot with him. I hope we see it more, but I want to stick in the front court here because Dario Sharage is in the middle of the coldest of cold streaks right now, not playing his usual brand of basketball. And I wonder when you think about him, um, he to me is a guy who needs to have his confidence, needs to be aggressive, needs to be looking for his on offense to be at his best. That's what you're, you kind of have him out there for. And, you know, if they don't have him in that second unit, you talked about campaign, things start to get a little dicey because A, they're just really thin if, if they can't count on him to be a consistent scorer in that second unit. But B, you know, then you're asking a, basically, I don't even know what we call campaign, but he's not an experienced player by any means. He's not a rookie anymore at all, obviously, but he's not, uh, not, not a veteran either. So it's his first really run through the playoffs. And it starts to be challenging to put together consistent possessions when you don't have Paul or Booker on the floor. Maybe the way around that is you always have one of those two on the floor in the playoffs, but not having Dario be what he was in the bubble or at the beginning of this season would be really tough. What have, what have you seen from him? Have you watched him? Have you noticed him lately? And how, uh, how much do you think they actually are going to need him? Um, I think it is just a cold stretch. Like it happens. Like, Dario Sarge is a solid player, but he does have these streaks where the shot isn't falling. And if the shot isn't falling, the shot is what opens up everything else. Like he's a fine post player, but he's not a guy that you just want to run your offense through in that way. 
if the shot's going, then the faking drive is going. And if the faking drive is going, then it unlocks the passing. So if the shot isn't falling, things can kind of fall apart quickly. Um, um, I agree with you. I mean, Phoenix does have a built-in fallback plan. If you don't want to trust, if Sarge is cold, you don't want to trust Cameron Payne to kind of run everything. You have Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Like, there are ways to stagger the rotation in which neither of those guys play over like 35, 36 minutes, but you have one of those guys on the floor at all times, barring like injury or foul trouble. So I think you can kind of save yourself there, but this also kind of ropes into the DeAndre Ayton thing. Um, again, uh, plugging the dunker spot again on an earlier episode, um, we talked about Dario Sarge and how well he had played and how he was outplaying DeAndre Ayton in some areas. And the point I made was that it's great that Dario Sarge is playing this well, but it's also kind of concerning that Phoenix needs him to be this well because the trust isn't really there with Aiden as he kind of works through what he wants to be offensively and some of the defensive lapses. So now with Sarge in a cold stretch, you need Aiden to be a consistent force on both ends. Like you have to have some sort of assurance that you're getting some positive impact from a front court player. Because what we've seen early in the season is that even if Aiton didn't have it, Sarge can come in and switch a little bit. He can knock down some threes. He can make some passes and kind of juice the offense and they can close games with him. Or if Sarge doesn't have a shot going, maybe it's the night that DeAndre Aiden is bullying people and playing with force and kind of changing the game that way. So you need at least one of those guys to give you something consistent. And you would hope that it's going to be Aiton because he's the guy you want to build with moving forward. So... I'm not super worried about Sarge. I'm not super worried about the campaign thing. Again, they could just play Booker or Paul at all times. Um, But I think it's important that one of those front court guys gets going and gets going consistently. Okay. You're, you're way more positive than you're, you're not letting me be negative, which is good. I feel like I do that too often on this show. So I appreciate, I appreciate you finding the, the bright side in these things for me, but that leads me to my question, which is, how far are you realistically thinking this Suns team can go? Because, you know, you, you cover the whole league. You're, you're going to be more realistic about this stuff than me. Um, so maybe, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll join me in my cautious negativity here, but I'm curious where you're thinking about the Suns down the line. Like, can they be a conference finals finals team? Are they, or is this going to be the, the first year in a run where we look back on and we say, okay, they got some experience, but maybe they don't actually uh factor into things too heavily i I don't think suns fans want to hear that but it is a realistic outcome here so what do you think so phoenix is at two right we're recording on a monday phoenix is at two right now right yep so i think we would have i don't have the standings in front of me i should have had my phone with me but uh i think we have phoenix at two and i think dallas at seven right now if i have that right i think that is still true yes unless dallas catches portland that that probably will be where we stay Okay, so we would have Phoenix in the 2-7. I think they beat Portland or Dallas. Um, then they would get the winner of the 3-6, which is, I think, what Portland's at 6 right now, and you know, 3 is 3 of the Clippers. I think Phoenix can beat the Clippers, honestly. Like, I, I think I don't think the Western Conference Finals is out of the realm possibility at all. Like, I, okay. I think at bare minimum, the Suns are going to be a tough out in the second round. So what makes it okay? Is it is it is it just all the stuff we've talked about? I mean, is it just their their consistency, their talent, their their know how, everything else? Because I've seen a lot of people at the national level a lot more 
um, negative than you, just not kind of buying it with Phoenix, not buying that these guys can do it in the playoffs. And I don't agree with that, but I'm kind of surprised that you're so bullish. Oh, I, I just love what I've seen from this team. Like, they are young. Like, I don't want to completely discount the experience factor because I do think postseason basketball is obviously different than regular season basketball. But, man, you have Devin Booker that can score on all three levels. You have a high-level defense. You have Chris Paul who's been there, done that. Like, we just saw him almost knock out Houston almost single-handedly last year at a talent deficit and with a young roster around him. So I'm not super worried about them being like afraid of the moment or anything like that. Like the collective toughness of this team is there. Um, That's part of why they, you know, they got Paul, they had a guy like Jay Crowder who has been in the playoffs a lot and just came off a finals run. So they have collective toughness from their veterans. They have skilled young guys. And even statistically, it's hard to track things in this weird COVID season, but like, Phoenix being a top five, top six team in half court offense and half court defense basically all year long while they've worked out kinks, while they've dealt with injuries, while Aiden's been up and down, while Booker's been up and down at points. And they've still been like elite on both ends of the floor in the half court. I think they're just kind of built for postseason ball. And I just trust that. And, you know, maybe I end up wrong, but I'm pretty high on this squad right now. Well, I'm not going to say any more to cut you off from that. That is a great place to leave it. You can find him again at the Dunker spot. You heard him plug it a couple times. You can read him at Basketball News. Great work everywhere. Nikaias breaks down the game better than just about anybody. If you like this types of, of X's and O's stuff, understanding the game at a more uh, detailed level. Um, anything else you want to plug, man? Uh, no, I think that pretty much does it. Written work at basketballnews.com. Uh, the podcast, The Dunker Spot, drops every Monday on Apple, Spotify, Google Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. So download it, leave us a review, um, give us five stars, all that good stuff. All right, folks, that does it for today. We will be back after the game tonight. Check right after the buzzer wherever you get your podcast to get my recap of the game. And uh, that does it for another week on Locked on Suns.